0: Countdown's getting closer, folks. Three weeks away from the start of college (laughs) basketball season. And joining me on the Igloo today, he was a Villanova forward for four seasons, started as a senior and was on the 2016 national championship team. And he's got his own podcast now. Joining me now, Villanova alum, Daryl Reynolds. Daryl, pleasure to have you on. What's going on, man? Thank you for having me, man. Yeah. Um, so, I got to ask you, um, now that you're in the podcast business, you know, you you played a year overseas first. So, I got to ask you, what led you to getting into podcasting?
1: Uh, So, I, I started a show when I got back called Stay Tuned with D-Ray. It was just, it was focused on getting the story. It's the stories that, you know, kind of surround things. I always tell people, like... I had Chris on there and I didn't ask about the shot. I didn't care about the shot. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know all the other things that were going on in his life around it. I've always been interested in like transparency. And what I noticed about podcasts in the first, when I went on was a, as a friend of mine by name, Greg Holdman. He has the Philly famous podcast. Sorry, I got to plug it. But when I went on with him, I had noticed like, yo, this allows me to just get an in-depth conversation without any issues. You know what I mean? Like there's no interruption. There's no commercial break. Like, we was just chopping it up for, like, 30, 40 minutes. And sometimes you get off topic, but that's fine, you know, and I've always been more interested in those conversations. So I was like, man, I might as well get into it myself, you know.
0: Yeah, and honestly, you know, I've checked out a lot of stuff. You know, you got a lot of your former teammates on there. You mentioned Chris Jenkins, uh, Jalen Brunson, and I believe last year you had Eric Pasco. am I correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of them, all of them were on there. I obviously I had to start with what I knew, uh, but I used the podcast to kind of get some stories outside of, of basketball as well. But like I said, just just like hearing people unpack their stories and talk about things and even my teammates, they would bring up stuff that I never even knew about them being in the locker room. I, I've been in locker room for four years and I never knew certain things about their life until we got on there and talked about it. And I was like, I like this, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, personally, like, I love that kind of stuff. I really, really do. And honestly, the more in depth conversations go, the better they are. And, um, like my brother, for example, like he's got his own podcast. He's, he, he much more dealing more on the psych psychological side of things. And, you know, like the more you listen to it and the more you learn about someone, you're like, you can actually like actually learn a thing or two. You can, you can apply to your everyday life.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's just great. It's like it's a it's the new radio. That's no secret, but it's just a, it's a great tool, man. It's just, you know, they vary. Like you said, you could hear anything. Like it's just like radio. You know, you want to hear somebody talk about politics, you can. You want to hear somebody talk about inspiration, you can. It's just, it's such a unique tool. Uh, not in the sense of somebody reinvented the wheel, because it's just, it's radio over again, but it's a unique tool in the sense of like how much it allows somebody to just unpack and talk about.
0: All right, so let's you know, let's kind of get into a little bit of your Villanova career. Now, your recruiting class, when you came into, 2013, into the 2013-14 season at Villanova, yeah. I mean, you came in with two excellent players. Josh Hart, who's still in the NBA right now, was a first-round pick, and then Chris Jenkins, who we'll get into later on about – how he hit the immortal shot that gave Villanova their first championship in over 30 years at the time. But you guys came in, and in a way, you guys really changed the the entire culture of the program because in your four years, you were never lower than a two-seed in the NCAA tournament. So I I guess the question i got to pose to you now is, is did you, did you, Chris and Josh, really anticipate that happening when you went to NOVA your freshman year?
1: Hell no. Uh, we knew each other loosely before, so we had kind of, you know, talked about getting in and doing great things. But we never, we never talked about what specifically that looked like. We, never, we actually never really talked about what exactly we were going to do. We just knew we wanted to be good. Um, but we just we were, we were committed to the message. We came in at a great time. I got to be honest, we kind of have that, like, middle child feel because we not, we didn't look up, but we came in as the, the, the program was on the upswing, you know, two years before we got there, it was a 13 and 19 year. Um, and then the year before we got there, it was Ryan Arches and Daniel Chefu's uh, freshman year. And, you know, them with the walk-ons, Henry Lowe, Patrick Farrell, and Kevin Rafferty and Nick McMahon, to mentioned too, he, he was out when I was a, he left when I was a, uh, a, uh, after my freshman year with James Bell and Tony Chanel, but they had, they were getting the culture back to a a great point and everything they had went through and fought through that year before us. We kind of just had to come in and not maintain. It's just, we had to just elevate, you know, we didn't have to completely pull it out of a tough spot like it was in those years past. But, um, nah, man, we just talked about being committed to what he had going on what coach coach's message was and me, Chris and Josh all clicked. Uh kind of quickly because we had later on found out we had, had similar upbringings, but it was just it was magic, man. It was something that we really couldn't we didn't really have a feel for. We just knew we were we wanted to do something special. And we got a chance to. You know, we, we got a chance to several times over. Like the championship was great, but we had some great years. Like me, Christian Josh senior year, we had a six man rotation. We were still, you know, the one seed in the damn the one seed in the East and uh Number one seed overall. Yeah, exactly, exactly, with, with six people. Like, two of our best players got, like, Omari was out. You know, he was ineligible. Phil got hurt in the third game of the season against Purdue. So, like, to accomplish what we accomplished that year, only losing four games, like, it was still wild, you know. But it really – I think it came from just a – we didn't think about it. You know, you kind of just went out there and did it, you know. Yeah, and your freshman
0: year, I mean, I think the one game where everyone kind of realized that your group was gonna be special was that game in the in the in the battle for for Atlantis. I remember watching that in Pennsylvania with my fam. I don't know if my family was around. I definitely stayed up to watch it where you guys faced a couple future lottery picks and Andrew Wiggins and Joel and beating Kansas. And honestly God, I was shocked that you guys were able to pull it out. But like to me, I looking back on it, I feel like that was really the moment where Villanova became the Villanova that it is now.
1: Yeah, that was, that was a huge, that, that game was, I mean, people joke about how that game was the true uh, championship game. Um, but it was, it was, it was huge. It was huge because it just, it sent the message as far, like you said, like for for years following, like what our culture was going to be. And I think that's the most important thing. It wasn't so much of the wins and losses. It was how we carried ourselves as a program And that is what allowed for those great years. Like, everybody thinks that we just, we went out, we set out to break all these records and stuff like that, but it really came from a commitment uh, to ourselves, you know, more than anything, and that allowed us to do what we do. Obviously, put on top of a lot of talent, put on top of Coach Wright's message. It was a lot that went into it. I'm not about to act like it was just cut and dry as, oh, we just believed. But at the same time, um, that's what we leaned on more than anything else. So, I mean, so you know, moving forward, um, another another
0: memorable games one one that you were kind of on the wrong side of, um, and I'm and I'm not I'm not really sure I'm i because of how the game ended up. I feel like you did get a lot of minutes towards the end of it, but your freshman year, the game on MLK Day in the Wells Fargo Center against Creighton. Um, I got to ask you, have you ever seen an offensive display like that?
1: Hell no. I mean, when they started off – so we had had honed in on Dougie so much. They started off, and the guy Raggy gets the the ball like a couple feet over half court and just launches it. You know what I mean? It almost looked – it looked careless almost. Like, what the hell was that, bro? Like, did you really just – but he made it. And then he made the next one. And then he ended up with – I think he made – what was it? He made his first seven threes or something crazy. Yep. Like, it was just, it was wild. My freshman year, you know, it was it was a learning year for me. I damn sure didn't play. They were just lethal. You know, they were the most offensively lethal. And Creighton, if if you watch Creighton throughout the year, they've always been great offensively. They've been one of the tougher teams to play offensively in our league because of uh, Coach McDermott's, like, his his mindset. But... It was, it was
0: crazy. Based on winning percentage, arguably your best team was your sophomore year where you guys went 32-2 and entering the NCAA tournament. And if it wasn't for Kentucky's undefeated team, you would have been the number one overall seed. And you guys had to overcome uh, quite a bit considering what had happened at the end of the previous season where you guys were the one seed in the Big East tournament and you get upset – by Seton Hall and then the second round loss to the eventual national champions from you for any, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that loss was definitely added fuel to the fire to have the season that you guys did that year.
1: Uh, I mean, not necessarily. We don't, we don't like looking back too far on, um, you know, what happened in the year, past because there's nothing you could do about it. Winning and losing, you know, like, we didn't like talking about, we never called ourselves the reigning national champs or anything like that. I thought, like, obviously, yes, on paper, that's what it's going to be presented as, but uh, the stuff in the past, like, it's like being in high school, it's like being a a college player talking about high school days. Like, the stuff you did in the past ain't going to help you at this point. You know what I mean? If anything, it puts a bigger target on your back. Um, So, no, it didn't, it, 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 don't get me wrong we felt it we understood it but it was also like i mean it, it happened the year before with north carolina the year before we got there and they lost in the second round it was just kind of like it was more so that curse of 32 that we were sick of not so much of how it was just we got to get through this second week and obviously we didn't that year losing the nc state um but no that was definitely that to be honest if you ask anybody versus that first and that second year, a lot of people will tell you that was the year everybody thought we would win um, that 2015 year because of how loaded the roster was because of uh, the talent we had, like those practices that year were by far the most competitive. Um, you know, with the starting lineup being Dylan, Arch, Daniel, Darren, and JP. And then, you know, coming off the bench, you have me, Chris, Josh, Phil, Mikel, like those practices were the most competitive, and that's why that year was what it was. Because you had a second unit that was as, if not hungrier, but as hungry and as, uh, in some ways, dangerous as the older guys. We just weren't as experienced, you know. But it was, it was, it was a yeah, and it was an interesting year. man. At the time, I mean, I just year. remember yeah,
0: 15 was, the win streak different. that you guys went on. You guys went on an absolute tear after you guys had been blown out by Georgetown on the road and then you just rattled off i think it was yeah i'm pretty
1: yeah. i'm pretty sure the win streak you guys had up until that loss to NC State
0: I think it was right around like if i do the math right it was right around 15 16 in a row i think now yeah so now now let's move forward Honestly, because this is something that I definitely want to talk about, the 2016 Big East tournament. Because honest to God, since reconfiguration, I think it's fair to say that it's been the best by far in terms of the quality of the games, the talent, and then the championship game itself, which I'll get into in just a sec, was just – everything about it was unbelievable. Now – And that was a bit of a tough tournament for you guys because I believe in the quarterfinal game, Ochefa went down with, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like, not a major injury, but enough of an injury where it forces Jay Wright to put you into the starting lineup. Now, yeah.
1: I think think he – it was that ankle – so he had an ankle injury. He had had earlier, um, and that was the second time he was out that year. So I think that was like my that was like my third time, you know, not third time, but third go around with starting. And um, nah, he was. It was just, it was weird because it was like we didn't. It wasn't enough to really keep him out, like you said, He had so, played some games, but we had definitely. We had yeah, definitely yeah. Played. I
0: mean, absolutely. Oh, oh, and Lord. there were some games, mainly games against Saint Hall, well. where he would just go off and. You know, you could really, whenever you would have an, especially when he had an, uh, having like an undersized opponent, he definitely would. Now, let now let's go, move into that championship game. This is and this was the first time since reconfiguration that the Garden was sold out for a Big East tournament game, and let it be the championship game between two schools that really are A, original Big e schools, and B, schools that are close to the Garden. So, obviously, you could, there was a palpable buzz, and with you being in that starting lineup compared to being in the championship game the year before coming off the bench, um, were your nerves heightened at all, knowing that you were going to be um, on the court to uh, to start another championship game?
1: No. Um I mean I was I was I was excited. The way that way that earlier that year had went when I was now I got a chance to start. I, I was you. excited, man. I mean playing shit, playing let's call it what it is, playing behind somebody for 3 years ain't fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I enjoyed it. I I played my part, but I, I was excited and I was excited to to get it done and it was just it was humbling cuz I had a lot to learn, but you know it was also one of those things like you know, Coach Ryder speak on, like, we, like I said, we battled so much in practice, they all had, like, full confidence in me. It was just, I was excited in a good way, and then afterwards I was humbled. I, I was really humbled. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, because I had to take a step back and realize, all right, you have a lot more to learn, you know. You have a lot more to learn. But, um, now it was, it was crazy. Like I said, I don't, he had played that game, you know, and he had, he, I think to be honest, if I could go back, I wouldn't change anything about that game because I think, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to speak for my teammates uh, on this, but I honestly think um, that season would not have ended the way it did without that loss. And I'm not saying we would have been satisfied after that win, but um, it just, after that loss, we had to look in the mirror and realize, all right, we have a lot more to learn. We have a lot further to go. Mm-hmm. And, We lost that game by one point. Like, that game ended, obviously, Isaiah Whitehead went the hell off. Carrington went off. Angel Delgado did his thing. They were great. But what really did did it for us that game was we go back and we watch film and realize we made this mistake, mistake, that mistake, that mistake, that mistake, that mistake, and we only lost by one. So, in our eyes, see yeah, that. Yeah, and a lot of games, season, tune it up, I mean, you guys really just saw, beat down
0: your competition where the only real tough games that you guys were put into were your regional final against Kansas, and then obviously the championship game against UNC. But um, before, I, before I move on to, like, just talking about that run itself, um, you were talking about, uh, you know, like, speaking for your teammates, and one guy – that said something about that championship game at the uh, at Big East freshman fundamentals program a couple weeks ago was your point guard, Ryan Archer And he talked about just the overall intensity of that game. And he acknowledged that Seton Hall um, is in fact a rival to Villanova because of just how competitive their games often can be. So I guess my question to you is what, especially, and not to mention, that's the semifinal game the year after yeah. went down right to the wire again in a low-scoring game. But what made Seton Hall just so tough for you guys to face um, in Newark and especially in the Garden?
1: Oh, uh, I think it was because i think see i mean don't get me wrong i think he's absolutely right in that in that regard those games always turn out to be tough and i think it's because seton hall in so many ways represents what we represent they like being the tougher team they like being a harder playing team and they're a northeast team they're a true northeast team i mean come on it's the it's in newark new jersey you know what i mean like if that ain't if they don't get more blue collar and rough in northeast in newark new jersey you know i mean obviously yes philly new york boston uh certain areas of maryland but like when you think of the northeast you think of that you know people it's a over it's a at this point a gentrified word but that grit they have it and they recruit players with it they want god that's what they want their program to represent so it was a tough game because you end up looking in the mirror you have a a guy you, you you every guy in their position on the other team wants to be the hardest playing guy in that position so you know you got The bigs down low, each big wants to be the big with more rebounds and not for the sake of the numbers, for the sake of showing how tough and dominant they are. The guards like being tough on defense and like getting into people and like making the tough plays and taking the hits. So when you have that type of game and you got to play against somebody like that, the easiest person to play against is somebody that doesn't want to do that. Because if you have somebody that doesn't want to do it, it's like, all right, we'll just outhandle, We'll manhandle you. But with Seton Hall, it was like, no, these these guys are showing up with the same objective, and it really always has come down into who can do what they do better. And Seton Hall, I remember, like, to me, you know, if you ask me and my teammates, uh, well, me and my classmates, the biggest accomplishment of our senior year was the fact that we didn't lose to Seton Hall, mm-hmm. you know, quite frankly, now, because <laughs> we lost to them. Yeah, and the funny thing was,
0: I believe during them. your four years of school, you met them like, 11 10 10. times, three times in the Garden, And more than half of those games were decided by single digits. And a good majority of those six games were one possession games that really came down to the very last possession. Now let's, so let's talk about that revenge game for you guys in the semifinals. And it, I mean, if there was ever the epitome of a rock fight in college basketball, that was that game. And (laughs) And it, just the theatrics of everything from Josh Hart getting the and one on a putback to give you guys the lead and then Angel uh, missing, missing a floater in the lane that could have forced overtime. And I don't know if you uh, – I mean, obviously it was talked about a lot in the media after the game, but um, I don't know if you saw it on the court, but Josh lifting Angel off the ground um, – after the final buzzer sounded, I, I guess the pose, um I don't know if you, um, so did you see it happen at all? In... Yeah, so I oh, guess I the question it. I, I got to you um, for you was, I,
1: I'm America,
0: um, I, I guess out of all the opponents in the Big East, um, would you say that Seton Hall was maybe the, the opponent that you respected, the most because
1: of those battles. Uh, no, because I don't. I don't want to put. I, I, the respect for us is something that was pretty universal, so I can't say that we had the most respect for anybody. At the end of the day, the, that's the beauty of sports, especially a game as up and down as basketball. you can lose anybody. That's why in the NBA. You'll see a team. Yeah, that's why the 2013-2014 Sixers or whatever year it was, it was either 13-14 or 14-15, and or 14 or but they went and won, you know, 10 games. At the end of the day, somebody lost to them. You know what I mean? As bad as that team was, somebody lost to them, and it just shows you that at any night anybody can get beat. So respect has, rev- has always been something we kind of kept steady. Uh, I will say it was a heightened amount of – um. Of uh, urgency, I guess is the best way to put it with Seton Hall, just because of our history, I can't negate that. But okay, so for us has always been something that is very, you know, uh, very, very universal.
0: Now, just talking about just your, something overall with, I, I got, I got to talk about Jay Wright because I mean, he, he is, how, how, else, how, how, what other way can I put it, other than just polarizing as a head coach because you got the suit game with his, you know, tailored suits he, I mean, he's, you know, tan, slick hair, you know, and he's, and he's charismatic on the court. Uh, but to you, what makes Jay Wright, Jay Wright to you?
1: What makes Jay Wright, Jay Wright to me, uh, his understanding of life outside of basketball um I started playing when I was 15 years old. So I've, I've, I didn't, I'm not like my teammates in the sense that I grew up in the sport through and through and it's all I thought about. And it's my only it was only my only ambition in life. And I'm not knocking anybody for that. It's just, it, it was I could never view the game that way uh, because I didn't grow up and I wasn't playing since I was six. So for me, I've always valued people and figures in the game who can understand the value and what it brings but also understand life outside of it. I've never done well with someone who can only see basketball and nothing past it. So me and coach Wright's first talk was at a a restaurant on campus, a student restaurant. And it was about everything but basketball. Um, We talked about dorm life. We talked about dorm life. We talked about, uh, you know, what it's like to the dynamic of, of how the dynamic changes between being with your teammates constantly versus uh, in high school when you're kind of like one off and you see each other at practice things like that. And, you know, I kind of threw that conversation at him and the fact that he responded in a way that truly understood what I was talking about. He truly got where I was coming from. I was like, okay, this is the guy who I want to be coached under because, you know, I mean, I found it out the hard way, but you never know when the ball stops bouncing. You know what I mean? So you got to, you got to choose your your coach because a coach, in many ways, is a father figure, a father-like figure, at least if it's done the right way. Um, and you got to choose somebody who understands life as a whole, you know, because it's a, you hear about programs and guys who, you know, and once they're done basketball, that's it. You know yeah, and mean? honestly, that's, it. that's that's all they. That's all Jay just
0: has for, uh, this uh, way, at least from what I've seen, of just getting the maximum effort and just get just really. M- building his players up to their full potential. You know, you have guys that originally, I mean, barely saw the court as freshmen. Then you see them, a guy like you, who started a lot as a senior. I mean, I, mean, I know that you also had to sit out a couple games your senior year uh, because of an injury. I remember, I mean, at least the scene Hall game your senior year where Eric Pascal started in your spot as the starting center. But But even then, you know, even Chris Jenkins – for example, he was a guy that, you know, was only a role player his first two years. And lo and behold, his junior year, he becomes the guy that's going to live in Villanova fame forever with that shot uh, that won the national championship. So I guess that's going to transition to my next point, just that entire run that you guys had in 2016. I mean, it's not like you have this, had one close game after close games. I mean, you were you were beating teams up pretty good. I And one game in particular where you beat Buddy Heald in Oklahoma by 44 points. Now, so I guess my question is, what made that run – I mean, other than the shot, obviously, what made that run so magical that year?
1: The fact that we were getting better every game. Um, I think that run was amazing because – like I said, after Seton Hall, we had to do some re-evaluation as, as, as not only as a team but as individuals, and we realized how many little things, if we fine tune, we'd be a lot better at. Um, so with us, going through that year and seeing every game, watching film afterwards, realizing that we could have did this much better, we could have did that much better. Even after the Oklahoma game, going into the North Carolina game, we had realized, you know what, we just beat a team by 44 points in the final four. And we made this mistake and that mistake and this mistake and that mistake. And there's no such thing as perfection in sports, but you can you can get damn close to it if you if you, if you keep your eyes and ears. Open Alrighty. And open so, open um, that I, was I all
0: right. right I'm, I'm gonna, gonna do a little bit of rapid fire with you if you don't mind. Alrighty, man. So, uh, you grew up in Philly, so I gotta ask you, who's your childhood course sports course. hero?
1: Oh AI, AI for sure. Uh, I had it was my first. I got my first fight over his shoes. I had the all (laughs) white pair. uh, uh, Questions. Somebody uh, spilled some chocolate milk on him. So uh, AI for sure. It was just I was as growing up uh, in Philly and South Philly especially. Growing up in South Philly, uh, AI and the era of state property, which is like Beanie Siegel, Freeway, and all of them, they kind of overlapped. And South Philly is where the arenas are. So we, like, are especially proud of the sports teams, like, more than anybody else. So to have those two times overlapping. You mean you mentioned
0: playing in South Philly. I mean, Villanova obviously plays their home game – a few home games every year at the Wells Fargo Center. But as a player, where would you like playing the most at home? Wells Fargo? or at home at the at in your sure. on-campus arena the pavilion
1: i almost said the fin oh uh, the pavilion for sure uh back then it wasn't the uh, i heard you say you almost said funeral pavilion back then it was just the pavilion. <laughs> just so as our senior year was the last year in that in the in the old pavilion but uh, at home, it was, it was just a special that's
0: interview. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, the last time I was in Wells, Wells Fargo Center, I think it was 11 years old. It was like right around Thanksgiving. I saw a Sixers game against the Warriors that night, and eh, I mean, it, it wasn't that great of a game. But I, it, even even then, like even I know, even I kind of noticed that building is kind of cold now that I think about it. <laughs>
1: And it was, it's like being down because they don't pour the ice up. So because the Flyers play there. So being down there in the year, being down there uh during the season was just like, you know, it, we had practice. We even had hoodies in there because it was so damn cold. But, you know, it was fun. It was fun. Uh I mean, don't get me wrong. We like it being a college kid that gets to play in that arena. All right. So uh,
0: most great, impressive player that, that you faced home, in the Big East. Home. Yeah, whether it be guarding them or just, on, just on an opposing player, team in uh, general. In the
1: Big East? Uh, probably Isaiah Whitehead. I mean, I got, I got to give him respect for what he did to us. Um, but, yeah, probably Isaiah Whitehead. I, I've never seen a guard create as well as he did. and You know, be as strong but as skilled up close and personal. I think the best player that I've ever seen over my career there was my freshman year against Shabazz Napier. He was just on another level. Like, it was it was ridiculous the things that he was doing and the confidence that he – and the poise that he played with. It was almost like – right. it was almost like he, he had a cheat code. But All uh, as right, far as in the so East, the best favorite guard. favorite
0: probably place to play on the road in the Big East? East. Uh, <laughs>
1: Providence. Um, it was a toss-up between Providence, Butler, and Seton Hall because of their fan bases and also the intensity those games had. But Providence, for me, that being my, like, true, like, true, true breakout game. And I went to school at Worcester so, for a year, now, So, now, would you say
0: that the dunk was by reason, far the most uh, hostile Providence. environment that you ever had to play in? <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, uh, it also between there and Seton Hall. It is. It is. A, it depends on the day. That, that that those two fan bases are brutal. Like it wasn't even. It was. It was personal. It was personal. You know. It was personal when it came to those two fan bases. And the
2: things they uh created. so I mean, as since you mentioned a, the intensity it was, with it Seton was, Hall, it was, it was
0: um, rough. do you have any memories? Because and, 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 as a Seton Hall alum, I get this a lot, and someone mentioned this to me either bring it up to you or Daniel Ochefu about if you have any memories of the lobsters in the front row. Uh,
1: yes, and it was off-putting more than yeah. anything, but I don't – what are you doing that? um, like So you basically know. I
0: remember I seeing um, no, on, like on okay. Ochefu's Snapchat ahead. story after the game that night where he, he kind of called him he kind of called him out and called him obnoxious so on and so forth, and a couple years after he graduated, they came back to a game and he tweeted something about like ah oh, those damn lobsters are back, so it's not, it's like a little fun but like uh, like, a, like almost like a long standing <laughs> rivalry between between him and the um, the I, they call them the rock lobsters after the B fifty two song. <laughs> oh man, but that's yeah, that's great though. Um, now, and now, so what? I, now, I guess like it, okay. Next rapid fire question. I I was trying to figure out the wording of it, but now I got it. One word to describe Madison Square Garden. All right. Um. I, I mean, I I totally agree with you there. Being, I mean. I'll tell you, being in the Big East tournament, there is literally no experience like it other than the NCAA tournament for college basketball. Yeah,
1: yeah, no. It's, it's, there was a, uh, there was a uh, it's a, it's just a special feel when you get in there. It's a, it's a high we get almost, especially during the Big East tournament. I think because you have so many different fan bases and things mixed in that. One All
0: right, race. now, that's so awesome. I remember yeah, in 2016, awesome. uh, when the Running Man challenge was a thing, I remember you you, I remember you guys put out a video for that. Now, I, I don't remember correctly. Were you in that? Oh
1: my god! Wow. Yes. Oh, yes, I was, I was, oh uh, man.
0: I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Was that was one of that was one of my favorite trends just during my four years of college. I mean, there was a lot. Like, for example, the mannequin challenge was one that I personally liked a lot. And I remember, like, I orchestrated one during a game back at Seton Hall. But, um, so, I mean, obviously since we're talking about dancing, who was the best dancer on the team that you encountered during your four years?
1: Yeah. Besides myself, Mikkel, Mikel and Eric can a uh, uh, toss up. They were um, they like, especially Eric. You gotta, you gotta see him. Man. He could, he could move. He can move. he got that New York like. I don't know what they call it, but they got this, they they got this step that uh, they do. All right, play. all right. Now, ball, besides, so probably, um, besides me, probably
0: Eric. Now you played in quite a few NC uh, different NCAA tournament venues. I mean, you played in Buffalo twice, but overall. Now, what city was your favorite that you got to play in, just for March Madness? Because I mean, you had a few. I mean, Brooklyn, Louisville, Houston, Pittsburgh, and then obviously Buffalo. Out of those, which one was your favorite?
2: <laughs>
0: listen, I'm from upstate New York. It's it's not like it, it's and not upstate's not Memphis. great. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, listen, man. You know, I just got, I got nightmares about it. It ended and it, it it began the first ending and the last ending were both in Buffalo. <laughs> UConn my freshman year Fair and uh, <laughs> Wisconsin my senior year. So no, Buffalo is, is, is probably my least favorite city in America at this point. Except Fresno California. Um I probably have to say something so, about that who was it? Louisville? Louisville. Something about Louisville had a – yeah, man. It had a – because like Houston, we were we, – don't get me wrong. We were locked in in Louisville, but I think, I think Louisville was magical to me because that was our first time making it past the second weekend. So once you get to the final four, it's all a blur. But kind of being in that in-between space. I'm yeah. Louisville, I mean, Miami, shockingly, man, one of the bigger venues in
0: college. I think it fits at least 20,000 from what I remember. Yeah. Now, um, so – yeah, that was really I cool. mean, so now as we kind of wrap things up now, you know, obviously let's talk about this Biggie season. I know I know that you you helped a little bit with the Biggie's digital network last year. I remember you were, were on with John Fanta and uh Chiron Cartwright during the awards presentation last year. Now, this year, a lot more of a loaded conference. Yeah. Probably the best has been since you were in school, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, what what really stands out to you the most just about any one team or the league going into this season
1: the league going into this season is going to be so crazy for 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 three reasons number 1 it's um everybody's older and everybody came back obviously not everybody but a lot of people brought back the the bulk of their teams and it's just been um it's just been crazy to see these young guys grow. But now that they're all sophomores and juniors and seniors, teams that struggled before, now that they have experience, it's, it's, it's going to take on a whole other level of competitiveness. The second reason is because last year, quite frankly, it was anybody's conference. And obviously Villanova came out on top in the tournament and the regular season. But the regular season ended with pretty much uh, – because Seton Hall lost, that's why because we lost to – no, it wasn't – sorry, Marquette lost. Uh, that was the only reason that Villanova was the champions uh, outright. It, it looked like it was going to end in a draw because of the way it was split. So everybody seeing that last year, seeing that it was anybody's conference last year, is going to make for that much more exciting and, and enthusiasm and optimism going into this year. And that changes the team uh, completely when you are hunting, knowing that, you know, yeah, you can do it. And then the third reason is because UConn is is coming back. So people are going to be trying to solidify their spots because they realize that everything's about to shift. You're about to have an 11-team conference, which means it probably won't be a situation where everybody plays everybody twice like it was. And that was probably the beauty of it being 10 teams. Like, everybody got to play everybody home and away with an odd number that's going to change a bit, and let's be honest. Yeah, and, and from
0: what I've heard, actually, they're going to try to adopt a – still keep the one. double, double round robin format where they do, in fact, play 20 games, and they're going to do something along the lines of what the ACC and the Big Ten do where they play two conference games early on and then play the other 18 from the end of December, early January, all the way into March. Yeah, yeah so obviously – the talent in this conference now is obviously above and beyond what it was a year ago. And now you have the two best players from last year's conference back, and the battles between these two are going to be intense. So if you were to pick between these two guys for Biggie's player of the year, I know they gave the preseason player to – to Miles Powell, but is it still Marcus Howard's award to losers, or is Powell the front runner to you,
1: Colin Gillespie? <laughs> Hell no, I say either one. Of. I'm going with Colin Gillespie. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a bad kid, man. People don't understand how that, that's a that's a bad boy, man. He. He's athletic. He understands the game. He plays significant minutes in his freshman year on a championship team, so he knows what it is to win. At this point, he is Villanova's outright leader. Last year, he was the leader vocally a lot of times. Um, and, you know, that was with respect Alrighty, to righty. Now, field, now um, obviously leader. with the
0: preseason poll, years, no, the, um, there was a lot of – it was almost like a log jam in the middle. And a lot of people say in the Big East, between three and seven, really, almost every year is like a toss-up. So, you know, out of those teams in the middle or even just another team um, somewhere in the mix outside of the top, uh, what's one team you're looking at that can exceed expectations and surprise a lot of people?
1: The Blue Demons. DePaul. DePaul for sure. Uh, Yeah, DePaul has has had – some very talented rosters haven't been able to put it together. I mean, yeah, I mean,
0: the, the addition of Charlie Moore they definitely helps their cause. Now that he's eligible, to me at least, they now have a legitimate point guard, meaning they have a guy that's not just around to facilitate. He could be a scoring threat and can light can be a problem to any team on any given night, really. So – um, so do you do you for? Um, so do you foresee DePaul uh, getting out of the basement of the Big East this season?
1: I mean, obviously, as a Villanova, right. I don't, I don't have too much at stake in their winning. I don't. I'm not about to act like I'm terribly invested to them being good. But I just. Speaking from a basketball fan's point of view, just strictly just basketball, especially Big East basketball. All righty. Uh, so great. If, if uh,
0: last be question better, before you know, I, you know, I send you off. Um. How? Um. Obviously, your senior year, the Big East sent seven of their ten teams uh, to the to the NCAA tournament. Uh, do you think the league replicates Do you think the league replicates that fate this that feat this year?
1: Yes, sir. As a Big East fan, I hope so. As a basketball fan, I don't see it being seven. That was a great year. Um, and quite frankly, at the end of the day, All right, five, season, uh, so I which five d got? the committee decides, I see at least five teams. I would have to say Villanova, Georgetown, Seton Hall, Butler. Uh, Providence, oh, and um, why am I blanking on the damn name? Butler, for certain. I would say for certain. Kent, Yes. I could say no. Don't get me wrong. I could completely see. Uh, all right. I mean, game I, game I mean, game, I, like I feel. Like, I feel like I, so I fine. can, I can kind of Absolutely. figure why
0: you would like Butler, especially. I mean, the, the. I feel like the one big reason has to be Kamar Baldwin for you with that.
1: Uh, yeah, Kamar Sean McDermott. Jordan Tucker. Um, they have a uh, – That's no, another a, McDermott there, I believe. Uh, I'm blinking his first name. Sean, Sean, sorry. I, I, was, I was blanking on his name. But, yeah, they, have, they had – like I said, it was a bunch of teams with younger guys who now that they've older and experienced, there's something to watch out for. At the end of the day, people underestimate Butler's quiet confidence, but there's a reason why they went to two Final Fours in a row. And it wasn't just – be. oh, my God. It wasn't just because of their coach, Brad Stevens; It's because of the culture. All
0: righty. Well, had. I always now, appreciate I always your insight, Daryl. Me. I, I mean, honestly, God, I was kind of shocked that you agreed to this. But, you know, this – I mean, this is obviously a great talk. We covered a lot. And all in all, couldn't have asked for a better interview. So, D-Ray, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And welcome back inside the igloo. Thank you again to Daryl Reynolds for – coming on during the first segment and continuing on with players that graduated in the class of 2017 in the big East. We shift over now to a guy that was the starting point guard on the Butler Bulldogs sweet 16 team that season. And now the director of basketball operations at Elon, Mr. Tyler Lewis, Tyler, thanks for coming inside the igloo. Oh, thanks for having me. I
2: appreciate it.
0: So, Let's uh, get right into reflecting on your time as a Butler Bulldog. You came in as a transfer from North Carolina State, and you were a highly heralded prospect as a McDonald's All-American, coming out of Oak Hill, one of the best prep schools in the entire country. And um, it was a tough transition for you being a North Carolina kid, playing for the Wolfpack and then going all the way to Indianapolis to transfer for your final two seasons. So what went into the decision to lead you uh, to Indy?
2: Well, it was a very tough um, decision leaving NC State. Um, still love the Wolfpack. Obviously, grew up an NC State fan and growing up only about two hours away from Raleigh. And it was really tough, but um, obviously, it was a decision that I felt like needed to be made. Um, committed with Sidney Lowe to his staff at um, NC State. And when he got fired, um, Coach Godfrey honored my commitment. So, and obviously, I mean, you pick a school because of a coach, like not only because it's a great school, but because of the coaching staff. So, I mean, after my sophomore year, um, had two great years at um, NC State, but then transferred to um, Butler, and I think it was one of the great decisions of my life. Um, obviously, just learning all about the Butler way, and the Butler way is more than just like a motto; it's sort of like a lifestyle, and you can it, you can use it way more than just like on the basketball court like it's something I live my life by every day so
0: obviously in terms of the quality of basketball I
2: mean ACC
0: and Big East I mean two major conferences in college basketball and they're obviously power conferences but in terms of the style of play did you notice any substantial
2: difference um, when you went from Raleigh to Indy Definitely. Um, Obviously it's two different leagues and um, two leagues that are like very different in a way. Like obviously um, I would probably say the ACC is more like skilled guys and um, but like the Big East man like every team in that league is super tough like they're physical. Um, You know they're going to play hard night in night out and I mean there's I mean there's 10 teams in the Big East and I mean, I think both the years that I played there, um, seven of the 10 teams made the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, whenever you play, whenever 70% of your league makes the NCAA tournament, I mean, obviously, I mean, so-called, it's not a power five conference, but I mean, arguably, I mean, I would say it's a top three conference in college basketball um, every year.
0: Now, uh, speaking of the huge difference between the ACC and the Big East as during your two years at NC State, your conference tournament, you played in Greensboro, North Carolina. And that's a major difference compared to when you were at Butler going to the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. And I mean, to you, um, if you could just uh, describe what it's like to, you know, play
2: at the world's most famous arena, how would you describe it? Uh, madison square garden i mean it, it, it's awesome like you walk in there you get chills um I, obviously it's one i mean it's the most famous arena in the world and to think that i had the ability to play multiple games in there um it's, it's honestly a dream come true um obviously that place every kid's dream is to play a game in madison square garden i mean let's just be honest like when you when you grow up a college basketball fan, you're watching the big East tournament. You're like, wow, man, I want to play. I want to play in the garden. And I think that's just something that, um, I'm very blessed, um, to have that ability to, um, play multiple games in Madison square garden. So,
0: um, and the big thing is with Butler, um, when you got there, they were coming off a year in which they only won four conference games and this was the first official season where Chris Holtman uh, was the head coach during your redshirt year. And they came out of nowhere to surprise a lot of people and ended up, you know, making the NCAA tournament. They were tied for second in the big East. And then during your two years there, they continued to uh, succeed on the court and, at one point you guys were in the top 10 so let's go back to you know your first season in a Butler uniform. You guys got um, a couple uh, big wins early on in the season and you were 11-1 going into conference play and you guys some I'm you guys somehow some way I I was to be honest with you I was shocked when you guys lost 6 of your first 9 conference games but yet you still were able to finish strong. You want seven of your last nine to finished out ten and eight in conference. So, um, I got. I guess my question to you is, um, what what really flipped the switch for you guys in the second half of that season?
2: Um, just just staying together. Um, I th- I think every sports fan knows, like you're going to hit. There's going to be ups and downs in a season, obviously the start of, we had a really good non-conference, 11 and one. And actually both years we started at Butler, we were 11 and one in non-conference. And I mean, it's tough. I mean, like I said before, I mean, when seven of the 10 teams in the big East are making NCAA tournament, like you're, you're gonna, you're gonna have to play your best, best basketball night in, night out. And there's no cakewalks in the big East. And obviously we weren't playing our best basketball. And you know what coach Holtman, did many great things, um, to help us get over that hump. And honestly, um, I mean, I ended up getting taken out of the starting lineup and you know what, I mean, ended up helping our team in many different ways. And I think that's, what's so great about like Butler It's just like how everybody stays together. Um, we're, we, we were so tough that year. Obviously we had two great senior, uh, senior leaders that year and, Roosevelt Jones and uh, Kellen Dunham, Um, obviously two Butler legends who will, I mean, obviously be in the Hall of Fame there. Um, And I I think those two deserve a lot of credit that year, my junior year. And um, they did a great job leading the team. And when you have people like that, I mean, it makes it easier to get through the season when you hit rock bottom because they're constantly just picking you up nonstop and I know you mentioned Roosevelt
0: Jones and I mean from what I've seen what I saw from him during uh, the two years that I got to see him play during uh, during my college years I mean I have never seen a player hit that many unorthodox shots in my entire life and like he's not the, your prototypical point guard like you are he's six four, and he plays more of like a big man's game but uh, to you um, what what do you think made him uh, a surprisingly good point guard when he took over for you um, in the starting lineup?
2: Um, He has a very high basketball IQ. He's very savvy. Um, He knows how to use his body and his um, will to win. uh, I think is one of his best attributes. Um, He's, I mean, obviously like, I mean, you, you saw it in practice every day. I mean, even losing three on three shell or whatever we're doing. Like he takes it, he takes it to heart, and um, his competitive fire um, out there on the court. And he he was just, I mean, obviously like he was so unorthodox out there, and I think it ended up helping him because not a lot of people knew how to guard him. Like they're like, Oh, like let me play off of him. Like he's not a great shooter and then he just uses somehow, uses his body and spins in the lane, shoots a floater. Like he uses that head of steam and gets past you and then people will try to guard him and try to steal the ball up close and obviously he create he, he, he was so good at using his body and creating space and I mean obviously he was I mean he's he's one of my favorite players that I ever played with and he's I mean obviously it was unbelievable being able to play beside him and being able to just w- watch him do his thing out on the court.
0: Now the following year I mean yeah you lose Jones and Dunham which are two huge losses yet you guys were some able somehow some way able to have an even better season where you guys were able to do something that nobody does these days and that's beat Nova twice in the regular season and sweep them. That was the first time since Dougie McDermott and Creighton did it a few years before you guys did. And you guys were able to finish second in the big East. So uh, to go back to uh, that, the success that you guys had against Villanova, um, what would you say was the key to be able to do something, do what a lot of, a lot of experts think was unthinkable.
2: You know what? Like, that year was probably my favorite year of basketball in my entire life. Like, I mean, it was just a great, great team. I mean, I think we were projected to finish, like, eighth or ninth in the Big East that year. Um, not A lot of people counted us out. And, um, I mean, obviously, we had, we had really good leadership that year, too. Um, Andrew Travis, myself, obviously, Keith and Savage. Um, I mean – Avery Woodson. I mean, we had, we, had, we had plenty of great leaders on our team that year, and that team was one of the closest teams i, I ever been around. Um, obviously, we had great juniors that year, and Tyler Weidman and Keelan Martin. Um, and I, I think those, those were um, – we, we did have experience that year. Like, we had a lot of upperclassmen, and I think that, that really helped us when we played Nova twice. And the year before, um, we always we all my time at Butler, we always played Nova really well, like we matched up well with them. Like our style was really good against them, and obviously, I mean it, it, it was awesome to hand that senior class their only loss in at Villanova at home. That um, I think it was like Josh Hart and Jenkins senior year. And, I mean, it, it was amazing going up to Philly and um, winning that game on their senior night.
0: Oh, yeah, I to- I'd totally agree with you there. I mean, I was shocked as anybody. Um, I, I mean, I remember coming home and watching uh, – coming back to campus after um, – actually, you guys were the game right after Seton Hall and Xavier played. And I just remember watching them. I'm like, there's no way that Butler's going to be able to win because, again, like I said, Villanova during – they're during that run. They hadn't lost inside the pavilion in, you know, during the last four seasons. And you guys are somehow able to do that. And however, though, I do want to, you know, move forward a little bit. Now, you guys um, lost a Seton Hall at home on your senior. Day. Then about a week later in the Big East tournament, you guys get upset by a red-hot Xavier team who was the seventh seed in the Big East tournament, and yet you somehow were able to pick your, pick yourselves back up and find a way to make it to the second weekend. How did you guys
2: um, bounce back and pull that off? Um, I think it was just um, staying together, and, and obviously Coach Holtman, he, he taught us the whole season, like, you can never get too high and you can never get too low. Um Obviously, losing senior night to Seton Hall was really tough because, I mean, we were we were up the whole game on you guys, and I mean, Delgado had probably twenty some and sixteen rebounds. I uh, still I still remember that game like it was yesterday. But um, and obviously going up to Madison Square Garden, um, being the two seed playing Xavier, Xavier was really good. I mean, not a lot of people. Well, I mean, seventh seed. I mean, they ended up get, making the Elite Eight, I'm pretty sure, that year. And, that's um, right. And people don't understand how good they were. I mean, they – and that's another team. They lost six games in a row that year. And people don't – And I mean, they lost six games in a row in the Big East, and they make the Elite Eight. And that showed you how good the conference is because, I mean, they're a seventh seed, and they're making the Elite Eight. And, I mean, obviously, they have great players that year. They have it. Um, JP McCura. I mean they I mean they had they had really good players. And yeah, and the funny the funny thing was they lost Edmund Sumner right around the halfway
0: point of conference play to a torn A C L.
2: Yep. And 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 you're right. And um that that year, I mean, they they were red hot going into the tournament. And you know what? We we should have won that game. Um we we were up. And we we're up six with probably five to go. And you know what? They, they made more plays on the stretch than we did, and they end up winning the game. And that's props to them. And obviously, um, I don't like to say this, but I mean, I have, I have a lot of respect for how Xavier plays the game of basketball. I mean, Butler fans will probably hate me for that. But I mean, they're really good. And um, I mean, their resume sort of speaks for itself.
0: Uh, And then, obviously, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I was filling out my bracket that year, I actually had you guys losing in the second round to Middle Tennessee State, given what they had done the year before in the tournament. So, I mean, after losing two really gut-wrenching games, um, I I mean, what was working right for you guys to, I mean, not only beat Winthrop and then Middle Tennessee State in the opening rounds, but then to also push, uh, well, give the eventual national champion, North Carolina, a bit of a fight down in Memphis
2: yeah um a lot of people honestly had us getting upset by Winthrop and I think a lot of people that was like the we were the 413 game and that was the upset pick of the tournament right there um yeah. they they had a good guard uh, God, I can't think of his name I think um, but he was really good kamar Baldwin was a freshman guard him really well that game and we ended up I mean beating him pretty good and then the next game obviously middle tennessee state with a 12 seed they beat uh, minnesota who was a five seed that year and then everybody had them go on sweet 16 so we were sort of i mean obviously we're the higher seed both games but we kind of went in there with the underdog mentality of like man everybody's picking us to lose i mean so i mean i think that gave us even more motivation obviously if that gives you motivation in the NCAA tournament like if you're playing the NCAA tournament you should have the most I mean, your motivation should be extremely high. Um, and then we we played North Carolina, who um, obviously, if we're if I'm gonna lose to somebody, I might as well lose to the national champion. So um, I was really excited that once they beat us, that they won. But um, I think we they played really well down in Memphis. Um, shot the ball extremely well. Um, they they had a lot of different matchups, and they 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 created against us and they were they were really good. They had a lot of size and obviously they're national champions for a reason. So um but I mean that was a tough game. Obviously it was my last game and losing to a team that's from the state I'm from and obviously the crazy thing about it, my wife graduated from North Carolina the year before. So I mean it was kind of tough and obviously um I mean it was just it was it was a great season though. Um, that 2017 year was really special.
0: So, uh, before we move on to, you know, your post-grad life, um, and your coaching career, I definitely want to bring this story up, uh, for my listeners who don't already know about this. So my sophomore year, you, um, your Bulldogs were in town against Seton Hall. It's a Wednesday night. And, um, I, my thing in college throughout my four years, I loved making signs college game day inspired me to, you know, go above and beyond to do it for every game. And for you, I had made a sign because I kind of knew about, you know, jokingly about like your quote unquote, childish appearance that I made a sign that read Tyler Lewis still eats off the kids menu. So I got to ask you, um, I think you, uh, from what I was told by my friends, I wasn't present at the time. I think it was at the concession stand or something when it was happening. But um, when you saw that, um, what was your initial reaction when you saw that sign at halftime of that game? And uh, what prompted the response to say, Hey, I kind of want that.
2: Um, well, I mean, it, honestly, whenever I saw the sign, like it, I just thought it was hilarious. Like it was, it caught my eye. It was really funny. I mean, you guys do an amazing job with making the signs and obviously everybody, whenever I was playing, everybody, Oh, he looks like a 12 year old out there. And I mean, I I know where it comes from. It's all, I mean, it's all, it's all fun and games. And I really, I was like, man, it's the best, one of the best signs i ever seen. So, and, and I still have that sign today. And, Just to let you know, I mean, it's obviously you save a lot of money eating off the kids menu. It's a lot cheaper. And um,
0: so the funny, so after the game, I was trying as hard as I could to just find anyone who was working the game as like an athletic staff to get the sign to you in the locker room. And, and somehow we did. So I really want to know, because obviously I didn't know what the reaction was like in the locker room. So. Um, so I guess what was the reaction in the locker room from, you know, your teammates, coaches, whoever?
2: I mean, they, they, they all laughed. They, um, they, they love the sign as well. Um, obviously they're like, Tyra, why the heck are you taking this sign home? I'm like, this is absolutely like hilarious. So, um, no, it, it was crazy because honestly, um, one of the security guards gave it to our manager to take it into me. And they're like, are you, like, are you serious right now? I'm like, yes, I'm serious. Like, and it, I mean, that's, that's really just how it, um, and then we got on the plane and then our SID tweeted it out that I was, I took the uh, sign home and it sort of just made some news there. So, I mean, it, it was, it was, it was an awesome experience. Um, the guys loved it. And, um, no, 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 no other person made a sign that clever for the rest of the year
0: uh so i i mean obviously when a tweet like that comes out obviously you know the butler fan base must have gravitated to that so uh did you even uh take a gander at uh what uh butler's fans were saying about it too
2: uh not not too much i mean obviously um they all thought it was pretty funny um but i mean not not too much they uh, After, after games, like, you know, like we would families would all come down on the court and they they would all, every every time they would always, after that moment, they would always mention it.
0: All right. So, uh moving on to, uh, your coaching career now, uh, right out of college, you were able to get a position at Furman and you've been bouncing around over the last few years, start off at Furman, then you went to East Carolina. And uh, now, you're, now you're at Elon as the director of player development there. So, not, well, director of basketball ops, cry, allow me to correct myself there. Yeah, you're good. So, um, was some, was coaching something you've always wanted to do um, when your playing career was over?
2: Uh, it's, it's always been a dream of mine to be a head Division one basketball coach. Yeah. Um, it was really hard to hang up the shoes. I had a lot of good offers to go play overseas, and it was really tough um, to uh, h- hang up the shoes. And but it was something that I knew, like I didn't want to go over there and play for five or ten years, and then come over here and start from um, like ground zero. I wanted to go ahead and um, go ahead and like build that resume up. And obviously started off at Furman um, with Coach Richie. He was doing a phenomenal job down there. He was, um, obviously, you saw what they did last year. And the year I was there, we won 23 games, finished second in the SoCon. And um, he, he's he, I think he's definitely one of the um, bright, he- young head coaches in this industry, for sure. And um, last year, uh, made the move to East Carolina with um, Joe Dooley. And, obviously, it, it was a really good year. Uh, obviously, not went record-wise, but... I mean, he's, he's, he's sort of like a basketball genius in a way, like what he's done at Florida Gulf Coast and obviously his assistant at Kansas. I mean, he's, he's, one, of the, um, he's one of the smartest basketball minds that I've ever been around. Um, and then now I end up with at Elon, um, really close to home and really close to um, uh, Coach Shragi. Um, He was my individual coach at Butler my senior year, his one year. Here, uh, I mean at Butler, and it's sort of crazy how the world works in a way, like kind of just like works in circles. Like how he was my individual coach, and now three years later, I'm on his staff, and he's a head coach. Um, and obviously, I mean, I have a lot of respect for him, uh, not only when when I was a player, but now being on his staff. Um, just phenomenal guy, phenomenal coach. Can't wait to um, have this journey with him, especially his first year as the head coach and just after all him being a first year head coach and him having me on staff just it speaks high, um, volume to what he is.
0: Now, I know you've been removed from uh, college hoops, from playing actively for a couple years now, but uh, do you still follow uh, Butler basketball or the biggies in general?
2: If, if we're not playing – I will watch every game of Butler. Uh, it's I ha, I I don't know Butler and my my wife is a North Carolina grad, but obviously she turned into a Butler fan uh, once I went up there. Um, and she and she's a huge Butler fan too. Um, her favorite player is Kamar Baldwin, who's one of the best guards, in the big East, but um, we'll sit down and we'll, we'll, watch Butler games together. And obviously, uh, I mean, we, the only time I'll miss them is if we're playing that night. And obviously, and speaking of the big East, I will, I mean, I always follow the big East. I mean, I think they have some of the, I mean, their coaches, obviously only 10 coaches in the league, but they have some of the best coaches in the country. And it's always nice to learn from them and just watching their teams play on TV.
0: Now, I mean, the funny thing is, now the guys that you know they were they were freshmen when you were a senior. Now these guys are the new faces of the league. So is it kind of weird to see those guys like Miles Powell, Marcus Howard, and even you know your backcourt uh, starting t- uh, starting. Uh, Starting battery mate in the backcourt, uh, Kamar Baldwin now be, you know, the new faces now of the Big East.
2: I mean, it, it's amazing because honestly, my freshman—I mean, their freshman year, um, I you knew that those three players were going to be unbelievable. I mean, I, even, even though Powell came off the bench for you guys, you could just tell. Like every time he came into the game, it was like a microwave. You just heated up and i i still remember we played them i mean we, we ended up winning the game my my senior year up there but he had a four-point play on me and i just walked towards the bench because i knew i was coming out and i was just like man this kid's really good and then marcus howard had the first 14 points of the game against us in hinkle and i'm just like oh my god this kid's gonna be really good and then obviously i had the ability to be around kamar every day in practice and I saw how, how hard he worked and just what he brought to our team as a freshman. And he literally puts the team before himself. And he's one of those kids that has – I mean, he can end up being Butler's all-time leading scorer if he has a really good year this year. And it just shows you his, um, his character because um, someone with that many um, – all that talent and all the awards he has won, like he's always putting everybody else before himself. And that just speaks highly of him as a person. I mean, he's a better person than he is a basketball player. And that shows you he's such a good basketball player. It shows you um, what a good person he is too. So, I mean, before I get into the rapid fire
0: uh, segment of this, um, obviously you mentioned it your senior year, seven of the 10 teams in the big East made the NCAA tournament and, uh, personally I actually have seven making it to the dance again this year um, so I mean I don't know if you've seen the depth of the league and the overall talent but uh, do you definitely um, do you foresee that possibly happening uh, come March
2: I do i I definitely do yeah um like i mean it's 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 a grind um, in the big east as you as you as you know but i mean i definitely see about 7 teams easily can 6 7 teams can get in from the big east I, I really believe that and obviously stuff throughout the season like injuries can change that but i mean based on right now and talent and how tough teams play and how they defend i mean i, I could easily see 6 7 teams in in the tournament
0: all righty, so
2: uh,
0: let's do some rapid fire now. I hope you're ready for this. I'm ready. Let's go. All righty. Toughest road environment in the Biggies that you played in, uh, Xavier. That I mean, I, I mean, I kind of was. I, I mean, I it's kind of like you think it's the easy answer right away, but um, I mean, that's that Midwestern rivalry right there but between I mean, Indy and Cincy together. I mean, and not to mention I've heard the extreme fans are. Um, pretty you know as as it says in the name extreme yep
2: yeah they're um, they're, they're really good yeah so um I mean, because everybody all, all the other that's not hard for us but it's hard for every other player on any other team
0: right now uh, so would you say that the sense center was your favorite place to play in on the road or do you have a different one for that
2: uh, it was probably my least favorite since they were—they were so. They, I mean, they had such a good fan base. They got into it. Um, my favorite place to play—I um, don't know. I, re- I really enjoyed it. I think. I think um, the Big East had some really good um, arenas. To be honest with you, um, if I had to say my favorite arena, I mean, can I say Hinkle?
0: I. I mean, you can, but I mean, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious though. Cause Hinkle's so much, it's got that aura to himself, but I mean, I feel okay. like,
1: it,
2: it, Creighton,
1: but
0: if you're, if you're to, you to pick one on the road, though, whether it be just pl- the crowd that you played, uh, that you played in front of, or just a place where you did particularly well on the court. Uh,
2: Villanova. I was, I was going to say Creighton, but they beat us by 30 every year we went there. So no. Uh,
0: good old Omaha. (laughs) Um, so, uh, toughest guy you ever had to guard in conference. Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn. Oh, I mean, the funny thing, he he had a solid five inches on you too. And he had all that leather athleticism too.
2: He was obviously, he was, he was unbelievable. Um, he was so quick with the ball and somehow every game he played the, the Butler Bulldogs, he just took it to another level, made threes. I mean, he scored at all three levels I mean, he was really good. So there's a reason he's an NBA right now. And a reason why you ended up being a lottery pick too. Um, yep. So
0: most, in, most impressive individual performance that you saw as a player, whether
2: it be on your own team or someone against you guys. Um, Marcus Howard. Um, and Senior honestly, year. I would probably say. I mean, just even though we beat him that game by freshman year, he scored the first four. I mean, his freshman year, he scored the first fourteen points of the game, and we had literally no one that could stop him. All right. So, um, just dis-
0: uh, describe playing at Hinkle Fieldhouse using one word. Magical. I, I mean, I've heard all the time about Hinkle Magic. Um, so do you – I mean, I feel like it's a rhetorical question, but do you believe in
2: it? Uh, I, I do. I mean, you walk you walk into the arena, and it's, it's like the one court where you walk in and you're floor level, and you just look up, and it's really amazing. Like, obviously, it should be on everybody's bucket list to go watch a game at Hinkle Fieldhouse.
0: Uh, speaking of Hinkle Fieldhouse, obviously the conclusion of the movie Hoosiers uh took place at Hinkle. So favorite basketball movie.
2: Favorite basketball movie? Yeah. Um Space Jam. Nah, no, Glory Road. Glory Road. I, mean,
0: I gotta say, extremely underrated movie. I mean, I ha- I owned I, I think I still have it on D V D for sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure I do too. All right. Um, they, um, funniest teammate you had, you had at Butler, Avery Woodson. It, you know, it's the funny thing is, oh man, Avery Woodson was the target of um, was the target of one of my signs that I made for him when during his one year at uh, at Butler, and it said, uh, "Avery Woodson's favorite character on The Office is Toby." <laughs> <laughs> he he
2: he was he was he. I mean, he was one of the reasons that when you were in your low point, he was like one person who was positive a hundred percent of the time. Now he could go zero for ten, and he would still like make a joke at the end of the game. And I'm like, dude, I would be going, I'd be like all in my feelings right now. And you're sitting here joking around. Like, I mean, he's just an awesome guy to be around. He's a great teammate, <laughs> and right. that's that's why. I mean, he just. I mean, if you were around him, and obviously the Butler fans know that. I mean, he was a comedian nonstop.
0: All right. Now, I know you're a North Carolina boy, and uh, I mean, I know country's big in the South, but uh,
2: favorite musical artist? Favorite musical artist? Yeah. Um. Luke Combs. Luke Combs. I mean, uh, What? shoot
0: trying to think like the name sounds familiar beer never broke my heart right yeah yeah see like i'm not a big country guy but like with the like with the way like because i'm a lot of around a lot of southerners for the baseball team i work for every summer summer so they put me on to a little bit of country and beer never broke my heart was one of those songs that you know they they wanted me to you know take a look at so uh not not really surprised that um you ended up uh picking uh picking someone country um so uh moving forward um favorite part about uh coaching
2: um making an impact on uh, our players lives
0: i mean that's a that's a great answer right there um so um, try, um, which conference do you think has between the ACC and the big East? Um, which, uh, which fan bases would you say are, are the most route are, are the, are the, um, are the more rowdy of the, of the two?
2: Um, o- overall, probably the big East. I mean, obviously there's, there's some rowdy fans and, the ACC, but I mean, there's, there's so many teams in the ACC. I mean, there's some teams that barely get any crowds. So I'd probably go overall biggies.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, other than maybe DePaul, I think, I mean, everyone, every team in that conference draws pretty well. I mean, it, and that, and that's saying a lot, especially yeah. with, especially, I mean, last year, I don't know if you knew this, but last year's first round session, you know, like night
2: one, like the, the bottom four teams playing each other. That session sold out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And, um, yeah, I'd probably say, I mean, no disrespect to DePaul or anything. It's just, I mean, all the other nine schools that you play against, I mean, they're, they're pretty rowdy. Um,
0: out of the Big East cities that uh, you got to play in, I mean, obviously a lot of them are in pretty big markets. So you know, out of all those cities, which was your favorite to uh, visit as a as a visiting player um, during the season?
2: Um, uh, I, I, I like I like Milwaukee. I like Marquette. I like going all right. to Marquette.
0: I mean, even though it's pr- it was probably like. like getting frostbite level of cold and
2: and maybe i'm biased a little bit because that's where we won our first two games versus winthrop and middle tennessee state so maybe i'm a little biased i mean it's 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 fair though i
0: mean earlier when i was talking with daryl reynolds i was talking about the cities that he got to play for the tournament and he said he absolutely despises the city of buffalo (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah, that's where um, they lost to Wisconsin that uh, during your senior year, and then three years before that, in the second round, they got beat by Shabazz Napier and UConn. So he's got a obvious. I mean, it's obviously a lot. Not so many great memories have happened, in, in it's, almost, it's almost amazing
2: like family. how like that plays a role. But I mean, it definitely does. I mean, it's just like Milwaukee for me, but it's the opposite factor.
0: All right. So what was um. Whether it be as a player or even or even as a coach, I mean, I feel like I, in either role you do get kind of ritualistic in terms of what you like to do uh, before games. So, is that did you have any pregame rituals in terms of maybe like pregame meal or something along those lines that you had during your playing days or even moving into your coaching career?
2: Uh, no, um, not too many. I mean, if I had to say one thing, I'd wave to either my family um, or to um, two people who really came close to me in Indianapolis. I just waved to them or gave them a huge hug before the game, especially home games. They sort of became like my Indianapolis parents. when Obviously, my parents came to a lot of games, but they kind of just made me their own when I went up to Butler, so obviously showed my respect to them and either wait and went in the crowd, gave him a hug or just, you know, just, I mean, I wouldn't say I had a pregame ritual at all.
0: All righty. Uh, so last question I got uh, for you before I let you go. Um, would um, would you say, I, I mean, obviously the, the old biggies die, um, quote unquote, died out during uh, your freshman year of college, and then you stepped into the new Big East. Um, So, you know, based on your experience, would you say that the new Big East is kind of getting to the level that the old Big East was at before?
2: I I think it's already at the level, like, talent-wise and, like, basketball-wise. I just think – I think it's really good that UConn's coming back in it um i think that will obviously build more of a fan base back up to where it normally was um i mean obviously when you think of the Big East too you think of syracuse and i mean you think of pittsburgh and high schools that jumped to the acc but i mean at the end of the day like I, i think this big east is doing a really good job and obviously talent wise right now and getting teams into the ncaa tournament um i mean it's really strong like people may disagree that it's not the same as it was, but I mean, they're, they're doing pretty good for themselves.
0: All right. I, I might've lied. So I, and I think this is the official final question. So, um, oh, I guess all in all, what were your overall takeaways and your favorite memories just from, even though your time in the biggies playing at Butler was abbreviated. Um, how, what were your biggest takeaways from playing in the
2: conference and what were your favorite memories from it? favorite memories definitely um, and takeaways, too. Uh, takeaways just <sighs> favorite memory obviously one of my favorites 316 run um, meeting Villanova twice that year um, biggest takeaway is just how how good everybody is in the conference and how hard you have to work every day to just maintain um, being one of the top tier teams in that league. And um, I think that was the biggest takeaway is just knowing that if you don't play your best game, if you don't bring it your all that night, like you're have a chance to get beat more than likely you're going to get beat because you're not playing your best.
0: All righty, Well, Tyler, you know, I know you got a busy schedule now at Elon, but I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join me. In the igloo. Uh, best of luck to you and, and the Phoenix this year. I know the CAA, it's a solid conference. You got a lot of pretty good teams in that conference every year. So uh, best of luck to you and your team. And I mean, we're only three weeks away from opening night. So, uh, Best of luck uh, throughout the season. We hope, hope your team does
2: well. Thanks. Appreciate it.
1: Icebreaker's
0: coming up right after this. It's that time again. It's time for this week's Icebreaker. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the Big East and social media and teams improving their overall social media presence on their official team accounts. Now, I'm going to be talking about – Social media again, but something a little bit different. Now, I was just browsing through Twitter a couple of days ago, and the athletic director at St. John's, Mike Cragg, was holding like a live question and answer session where anyone who replied to his initial tweet wanting to ask him any questions about athletics, really anything to do with any of the programs, obviously the big ones being men's and women's basketball, he was answering a lot of those questions and being involved with the community for which you're the athletic director of whether it be for just fans alumni anyone who's following really it shows that they care and want to be able to satisfy you know the fans and the alumni who want to see nothing but the best at that university he was talking about, Season ticket deals that are gonna be coming out soon for games at Carnesecca and games at the Garden. He was talking about the changes that were made inside Carnesecca Arena, where they took out the overhanging scoreboard around uh, above half court in place of banners to honor the programs that call that place home: men's and women's basketball, as well as the volleyball team, who has been having a pretty good year themselves. And I guess what I'm going to tie this into the fact that I think Mike Craig is really setting a standard for catering to his university's community. And I guess I'm really going to call upon the rest of the ADs that do have a Twitter presence to do the same as well. I know Pat Driscoll at Providence who, by the way, I'll make this plug here. He is an upstate guy. He was just actually inducted into the Hall of Fame at Ithaca College last weekend. So I definitely had to make that plug there. But Pat Driscoll, I know he has quite a bit of a Twitter presence. I know Brian Felt, the new AD over at Seton Hall, also has a presence as well. And then the other ADs, uh, Bruce Rasmussen at Creighton for one, Mark Jackson at Villanova, just just really all 10 ADs. I know that it's kind of hard when you're not social media savvy. And I totally get that. But if you are on Twitter or Facebook or anything that will have a strong outreach to your supporters, fans, alumni, like I said. You know, that's going to be huge. And to inform them of what changes are coming Around the athletic programs. Obviously, for example, with Seton Hall, um, they just renovated OT Carroll Field, which is a dual purpose field for soccer and baseball. They completed the soccer side, and they've been doing a pretty good job of updating us regarding the overall status of how the renovations were going with the soccer field just getting finished about a month ago and now the baseball side being worked on from now until the beginning of the season in in March. And I know Brian Feld he does a week a uh, monthly video newsletter where he talks about everything going on around the athletic program. But I will say as great as that is a Twitter Q&A every once in a while wouldn't hurt and I think it would be very beneficial, not only for Seton Hall, but really every other Big E's program to do the same as well. Keep fans and alumni informed of what's going on. Keep the buzz going, not just for basketball, just for everything, because the Big E's does have a lot of good programs around its other sports. They got two nationally ranked volleyball powerhouses in Creighton and Marquette, men's soccer they produce solid programs year after year. Georgetown and St. John's. St. John's is number seven in the country, and Georgetown's number 12 right now. And they just have solid programs all around the conference. And even women's soccer, Georgetown's a powerhouse there. And they have a couple other really solid programs in women's soccer. And then baseball's got some solid teams. Are Creighton, St. John's, Seton Hall, Xavier. And same with softball. So you can't really... You know, discount all those other sports. I know men's and women's basketball is obviously important. But long story short, Mike Crag, keep doing you. I love the fact that you're keeping everyone in St. John's in the loop about what's going on. And that's what's going to keep fans coming in night in and night out. No matter what the circumstances are. And I feel like that's really important and undervalued. So I think for the rest of the Big East athletic directors, take note of what Mike Craig is doing. You don't have to be a carbon copy of that, but definitely do something along those lines and keep your athletic communities involved because, you know, after all, you know, alumni like myself, you know, we love coming back and seeing what's new with athletic programs and with the entire athletic department. So, I just hope that Mike Craig has really set a strong precedent and maybe the rest of the biggies can follow suit. That's it for this week's episode of The Igloo. Tune in next week and, and follow along me for updates um, at The Real Timmy Ice on Twitter and Instagram to get the links to my episodes as well as get some spoilers on who might be stopping by The Igloo in the near future. So until next episode, this is Timmy I signing off. See you next week.